As was mentioned repeatedly, this morning is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Passion Week. That is the last week of Jesus' life. On Palm Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem to the praises of those who welcomed him as their king. This morning, we're going to look at a study in contrasts. That is, a contrast between those who wanted Jesus to rule over them and those who rejected his rule and authority. It's important to note that prior to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and his acknowledgement by his disciples as the coming king, that he wanted to correct some misconceptions that they had about his kingship. And so this morning my text is actually in chapter 19, starting with verse 11. In preparation for this triumphal entry that we just read of a few moments ago. Key verse is 1911. And while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. The disciples were expecting that when Jesus went into Jerusalem, that finally his kingship was going to be recognized and this wonderful kingdom that they were looking for and anticipating would be immediately established. This helps us to understand the fervor associated with what has become known as the triumphal entry. <coughs> Excuse me, verse 35. And they brought it, that is the colt, to Jesus. Throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawn near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice <coughs> for all the mighty works that they had done. <coughs> Saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. I apologize. I got through Sunday school well. My cold is not that bad, but it's in my chest. And uh, I get these fits. Let me just pray for a moment. Our Father, I ask that you would keep this cold from distraction. I pray that you would just allow the word to go forth without uh, interruption. That we might see your goodness in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the theme this morning is, why is it important for Jesus to tell his disciples that his kingdom was not going to be immediately established, but fully established later? Well, first, it was important for the disciples to know that the kingdom was not going to be immediately established, but rather established later, so the disciples would not think that Jesus' adversaries had gotten the victory. There was much 
about the end of Jesus' life that the disciples did not understand. Now, we can argue that they should have understood it, for just back in Luke chapter 18, Jesus had informed his disciples as to what would take place when he went to Jerusalem. In 1831, it says this, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. Verse 34, but they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. So as we read it, it's very clear to us, it's, it's very apparent, and one would wonder how in the world could the disciples miss this, and it tells us that it was hidden from them that they were not given the spiritual insight and wisdom to understand uh, the events that were associated with Passion Week. They didn't understand the necessity, the importance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our text tells us that they were anticipating that the kingdom would be immediately established. Now, one can understand why the disciples might have gotten that impression. For Jesus spoke often about the kingdom. Matthew 4, 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 23, Jesus was going about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Luke 8, 1, and it came about soon afterwards that he began going about from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. The disciples themselves had been sent out to preach about the kingdom of God. Luke 9, 2, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Jesus had even proclaimed the nearness of the kingdom, Luke 9, 27. <clears throat> but I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So one can understand how they anticipated the fact that this kingdom was going to be immediately established. In fact, even today, there is a large part of Christendom that understands that the kingdom is present and in the way in which we look forward to that kingdom they don't understand it being fulfilled. They think that we are living in this kingdom age now. Now there is a sense in which the kingdom has been inaugurated. There is a sense, of course, in which Jesus reigns over all things. But Hebrews says we have not yet seen all things put under his feet. There's a time in which Jesus is going to return to this earth, and when he does, he's going to establish the kingdom in its fullness. Well, they never anticipated Jesus leaving this earth. They never anticipated his death and resurrection and his coming again. So to teach his disciples 
that he was, that the kingdom was not going to be immediately established, he proceeded to tell them a parable, Luke 19.11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Why? Because he was near Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. It was these events that prompted Jesus to teach them that this kingdom isn't going to be established right now. Parables draw upon the common or ordinary circumstances of life that can be readily understood and thus shed light on the spiritual truth that Jesus is seeking to convey. While kingdoms and kings were a normal part of the mindset of the New Testament Jew, they are a part of an experience that we do not know much about. Uh, we do not experience kings. Uh, we do not experience kingdoms. And the kingships that we do know about oftentimes are not the kinds of authoritative kingships that existed in the New Testament era. Many commentators think that Jesus uses this, this parable that we're going to look at based on the life of Archelaus, who had built a palace in Jericho, had traveled to Rome to meet with Caesar to gain rule over the Jewish people. However, the Jewish people did not want him to rule over them. He eventually returned and had many of the Jewish leaders killed. Jesus uses perhaps that example by giving us this parable of people who would hate Jesus and reject his kingship. Notice verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. In this parable, the one that's being rejected is Jesus. And his people do not want him to rule over them. Jesus was hated. In John chapter 15, verse 24, it says this, If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. They hated Jesus, but for no good reason. Jesus had not done anything that was worthy of their hatred. He had shown them love. He had shown them concern. He had granted unto them healing. He had brought to them deliverance. And nonetheless, they hated him. And in this parable, verse 14, they said, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now remember, Jesus is telling them this parable so they would understand the events that are about to take place at Jerusalem. And in John chapter 19, Jesus is on trial before Pilate. And Pilate brings forth Jesus unto the crowd. And he was ready to let one of the captives free. And he gave a choice to the crowd, whether it be Barabbas, who was a known criminal, or would it be Jesus? 
In John 19, 13, verse 14, it says this. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He, that is Pilate, said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. Here they are rejecting Jesus' kingship and his authority. The people who would reject Jesus' kingship will not be successful. Jesus' kingdom will be established. Look at verse 15 of Luke 19. When he returned, that is this king, having received the kingdom... He ordered those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to them that they might know what uh, was going to be doing business. And verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Just like Archelaus had slaughtered those who did not want Archelaus to reign over them, Jesus is going to slaughter those who do not want Jesus to reign over them. It is a rejection of his kingship. And we need to understand that as the gospel is presented, what is the impetus for people to reject the gospel is they do not want Jesus to have authority over their lives. They don't want to bring their lives under the subjection of Jesus' authority. They don't want to do what Jesus tells them to do. Uh, reminds me of an incident, and many of you have heard it, so I won't go into great detail. But my daughter, Susanna, was being witnessed to by her sister when Susanna was only about four or five years old, and uh, Sarah was telling her some hard and difficult things, such as if she didn't know Christ as her Savior, that uh, she was uh, going to be in hell and suffer uh, the, fire, the, the pain of fire forever and ever. And Suki had just burned her finger that week, and so she knew what pain was about. And she said, it's going to be like that all over your body. She said, Mom and Dad aren't going to be there. And she was laying it on thick, and I thought that she was going to have to be in therapy the rest of her life. And... I was just sitting outside the door listening to all this, and finally Sarah, the evangelist, came in and said, do you want to receive Jesus as your Savior? And she said, no. I thought, wow, four years old, all this pressure, all this guilt, all this fear, and she said no. And I took her out, and I sat with her in the hallway. I said, Suki, I heard everything that Sarah was saying to you. I said, I just want to know, why don't you want to accept Jesus as your Savior? And she said, because then I have to do what he tells me to do. She was four years old, and she was tired of people telling her what to do. And I thought, wow, she gets it. She understands. I was actually encouraged by that. She understood her heart. Why? Don't people submit to the authority of Jesus Christ? They don't want him 
telling them what to do. They don't want him to determine what's right and what's wrong, what is sinful, what is acceptable. They don't want to have to bring their lives into agreement with what God's word has to say. People reject the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's going to end in destruction. I'm thankful to say, later on in life, Suki did come to a place where she submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ and accepted him as her Lord and Savior, for which we are grateful to God. But uh, we need to understand this desire not to be under the authority of Jesus Christ. And so were these Pharisees and these Jewish leaders. Uh, So was Pilate. And uh, so Jesus was crucified. But moving on in this parable, and which is most significant for us this morning, I think, is that it was important for his disciples to know that the kingdom was not going to be immediately established, but fully established at a later date, so that they would be prepared to serve Jesus in the intervening period of time. That they'd be ready to serve Jesus in the intervening period of time, in this time that we are awaiting Jesus' return. For notice the parable, verse 12. The one who's going to receive a kingdom calls his servants and gives each servant the same opportunity and task. Notice verse 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then returned. Verse 13. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. Now, a mina was worth about four months' wages. And so he gave about four months' wages to each of ten of his servants. And he gave his servants the same task. And that was, engage in business until I come. The point was that the king was going away. And he gave each of the servants four months' wages and says, go and be about my business. Go extend my kingdom. Go and make it more profitable until I return. So they each had the same opportunity, and they each had the same task. Though they all have the same opportunity and the same task, They do not all demonstrate the same faithfulness in serving the king while he is gone. Notice verse 15. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. He said, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Verse 18. The second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. He said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. So he did not do business. He did not try to multiply this mina. He simply buried it in the ground. So here are pictures of three different servants waiting for the king to come back. 
One. Used his mind as well. Got ten more. One. Not as profitable as the first, but took his mina and turned it into five. The third didn't do business at all, just buried it in the ground, had it preserved and ready when the king would come back. Now notice, those who are faithful and commended also receive a reward. First they are praised, those that are faithful. Verse 19. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas. He said to him, well done, good servant. So he's praised. Not only is he praised, but he is rewarded. Notice the end of verse 17. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. The second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. He said to him, and you're to be over five cities. So here is this king. And the reward is reigning with Jesus. And this is very literal. He's going to come back. He's going to establish an earthly reign, an earthly kingdom. He's going to establish a government. And we will be reigning with Christ, says the book of Revelation. And we will be reigning in different levels of responsibility and duty. Those that have been the most faithful receive the most responsibility. Those who have been less faithful receive less responsibility. However, there is an unfaithful servant, verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. This slave, or servant, failed to be about the business of the king because of his fear or dread of the king. Verse 21, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. Now what does that mean? Look at the end of verse 21. I was afraid of you because you were a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Putting that into a more modern vernacular, you take what doesn't belong to you. I know what you're like. You take what doesn't belong to you. In essence, the mina belongs to you and nothing else. I kept what is yours. Here it is. The proceeds, I knew you would take that too. So I didn't bother. I didn't bother. Because the proceeds wouldn't be mine. The proceeds would be yours. I, I know what you're like. The first servant, he took that mine and turned it in ten and said, here. The second servant took one mine and turned it in five and said, here. The third servant said, here. This is what you deserve. This is what you get. This is what I should do for you. It's a striking parable. It's an attitude that one has towards the kingship. 
and our responsibility and duty towards that king. It's, it's interesting the way we value abilities and work and duty and responsibility. Is it a privilege or is it uh, a hardship? You know, it's, it's interesting listening to some people's testimonies. You know, and some pe- people's testimonies center around what they have given up in order to serve Christ. No, you'll, you'll hear about the, the person that was a, a famous singer. But, you know, I could have been rich and famous, but I gave it all up in order to serve the Lord Jesus. I took on this humble duty and responsibility when I could have had everything that mankind would want. It's kind of a strange perspective on what is a joy and opportunity is ours to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the disciples asked a very similar question. Lord, what are we going to have that have given up all these things? And Jesus said, you will have more in this life and the life to come than what you've ever given up. We do not forfeit anything by serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard a missionary come and say something like this to to you, okay? Uh, I sat in loads of chapels down through the years, college, seminary, so I've heard a lot of things, and I've heard it often said, you better be careful about offering your life to the Lord, because he's going to take and have you do exactly what you didn't want to do. You know, the missionary will say, I never wanted to be a missionary. I never wanted to go overseas. And I said, you know, Lord, I'll do anything but that. And then I said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And now I'm a missionary. Now I'm going overseas. And the impression is, you know, it's hard to give your life over to God because he's so demanding and he's going to ask of you things that you don't want to do. That's what we struggle with as we wait for the kingdom. There is a third servant, or really he's not a servant of all, that is going to um, reject his authority. We're not there, okay? We don't do that, but there is this tendency to withhold ourselves from God. But notice how this very reasoning backfires on itself. For notice what Jesus said in verse 22. If you knew that I was the king who demanded much, then why didn't you serve me? He said to, to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. Now notice the first servants were praised. This servant is called a wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And in my coming, I might have collected it with interest. Answer, he didn't want the king to have it. If he couldn't have it, he didn't want the king to have it. He says to him that you are a good-for-nothing slave, worthless, of no value, no benefit, no help. 
He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what you did not sow. Wicked. There it has the aspect of worthless, of no value. What will happen to such a slave? He will suffer loss, Luke 19.24. He said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. will suffer loss. Verse 25, and they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minus. Verse 26, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What does it mean that he will suffer loss? <coughs> Two things. First, he will suffer the loss of praise. The faithful servant is praised, verse 17. <coughs> He said to him, well done, good servant. This servant doesn't hear, well done. He's not praised. The faithful servant is rewarded, verse 17. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. The unfaithful servant is not rewarded. Take the minor from him and give it to the one who has ten minus. He will not rule in the way in which the others rule. He will not be destroyed. However, the one who refuses to allow the king to reign over him will be destroyed, verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So there's a distinction, and it's an important distinction. There are those that don't want Jesus to have authority over their lives. They're lost. But those that accept Jesus' authority over their lives, there are those that are very, very committed, those that are mediocrely committed, and I will, and there are those that show very little commitment, that aren't consciously seeking to promote and develop the kingdom. This is given to us in terms of of finances. It's to help us understand a principle. But I think that the, the real ambition here is an issue of glory. We are to be promoting the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of people who want to promote their own glory who want to promote their own agenda, who are more concerned about how they look than how Jesus looks, who are more concerned about whether they're patted on the back or whether Jesus is exalted. They're more concerned about what my service is going to do for me than what is my service going to do for God. And out of a desire for self-praise and self-glory, they fail to serve God the way they should. They are ashamed. They are embarrassed of who God is. They may be ridiculed by friends, neighbors. They may be viewed as foolish, unwise. And they would much rather hear the praise of men than the praise of God. They want to reserve praise 
for themselves. And so I simply ask you, as you think about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, how willing are you that God receives all the honor and glory from our lives? And how much are we really trying to promote ourselves rather than to promote God? He said this because the people thought this kingdom was coming immediately. He's saying it's coming. It's coming. It's going to be delayed. It's coming. And when he comes, there will be two groups. Those that rejected him as king, they're lost. Those that received him as king, they're saved. And then, among those that receive him as king, there are those that are actively promoting his kingdom and his glory. And there are others that are more in tune to their own agenda and promoting themselves. And the result is this group that is really seeking to promote the honor and glory of God, God turns around and promotes them and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And he praises them. And this group that was concerned about their own praise are going to hear, you're a wicked servant. You haven't served me in this way. And you will not be rewarded as a faithful servant is. So let us be faithful and diligent in seeking to bring honor and glory to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the reality of his kingdom. I pray that you would help us to live in anticipation of that kingdom. May we not be disillusioned. May we not be discouraged. May we understand that when Jesus rode into that city, it was never intended that at that moment he'd be reigning. It was the intention and purpose from the foundation of the earth that Jesus Christ would die on a cross. He is a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Lord, this is not plan B, this is plan A. This is not a second thought, this is the primary thought. Jesus Christ came into this world to die. He also came to rise again. And one day, he's coming back to this earth. And when he does, he will reign. And those that refused his authority in their life are going to be lost. Those that submit to his authority are going to be saved. And those that delight in that authority and want to promote his kingdom and to bring him glory and honor and praise in their life, Lord, they are going to be rewarded and praised. And those who are seeking to be self-promoting and withhold that glory and honor from God will not be praised. So Lord, help us to be a faithful people, looking to and rejoicing in the coming of the Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.